Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Now, normally, you know, it's interesting. For, for me, as a, as a teacher and a leader, uh, some messages you just sense you're going to, that are really more from God than from you, and that you just sense you're going to come up against stuff when you deliver a message. And a couple weeks ago, I did something on uh, the, the woman giving birth and the dragon ready to devour. And I mean, the spiritual opposition I hit in coming in to do that message, I felt like there was really something of kingdom import on that thing. And if you haven't heard it, I'd like you to go back and listen to it. I think it was an important message. Dealing with the principalities and powers, those things that we're kind of in a cosmic battle with right now in this time, I believe we're coming out of it, but I believe it has had import on who we are and what we do. This morning I have one of those messages as well. It seemed like at every turn I was kind of having, doing shadow boxing with the devil. So look, I know you guys like to schmooze and chat while you're watching this message, and that's cool. But I'd really like you to kind of pay attention because we're starting a new series, and, and, and I think what I have to say has import. I think it has oomph. Holy Ghost oomph from the throne of God. Okay, so this morning we're beginning a new series of teachings entitled DNA. And the term DNA has been part of uh, 20th century lingo. It's part of our language. Our DNA, our, each of us, our DNA contains the deep descriptors of much of our identity. Blue eyes, blonde hair, black skin, curly hair, whatever it is. And as an analogy to that, churches routinely now are described these days as having core DNA. And they, the churches have characteristics written by God into their very existence. Now, as we come out of this pandemic, it hasn't escaped our attention uh, as leaders that the church will have changed. Matter of fact, before I came to speak this morning, Bob and I were just having a a spontaneous chat about this very thing. So neither has it escaped our attention, however, that Jesus Christ is our God, Jesus Christ is our Lord, Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of this church, this church, NC4. And all that we've been through and all of the incredible faithfulness that you people have, have gone uh, through this year has not gone unnoticed by God, It's not gone unnoticed by me, and it's not gone unnoticed, hang on to your hats, by angels. That's uh, important. The title of the message this morning is called Angels in the Architecture. And I'll explain what that means in just a second. So we're journeying together into a year of change. And some of the change is the consequence of circumstances. Some of the change is intentional. Uh, But all of it is of God. And and the Holy Spirit inhabits and protects us as a church. It's a reality. So in this series called DNA, we want to visit five core characteristics over the next five weeks of NC4 that arise from all the way back to the conception of this family of God uh, way back in 1982. 
And these are things that, that make us who we are. That's what DNA is. Like the DNA in each of our, our human genomes, it like kind of defines us. Like Jesus, I love his church. And where, where the church is, however, defines itself because Jesus loves the church. And there are all sorts of paradigms for church that, that there always have been. About, I don't know what, how long ago it was now. It's probably 15, 20 years ago because of the network of churches that we belong to called Grace Network. Every pastor had to go on a four-month, three- or four-month sabbatical. So I went on a three- or four-month sabbatical, and the leaders here uh, were, were good with that. And so for three or four months, I detached myself from uh, activity within the church completely, except for golf. <laughs> anyway, so, so I was still golfing with my, all my buddies. Anyway, so during that time, I did two things. I had purposed in my heart to do two things while I you know, exempted myself from this church. I had two things I wanted to do. One was I wanted to pray my way through, carefully pray my way through the book of Psalms. And I did that, and it was such an enriching experience. I began to understand the, the roller coaster experience of almost every Christian as I looked through David's roller coaster that's there enshrined in the book of Psalms. But the, the other thing I did is I visited churches. I just like, I went to church more on my sabbatical than I, than I did when I was pastoring. I, I like visited every kind of church you could think of. I went to liturgical churches. I went to Orthodox churches. I went to Moravian churches. I went to charismatic churches. I went to house churches. went to cell churches. I went to every kind of church that I could kind of uh, muster up because I wanted to see what was going on. And the conclusion that I came, came to two conclusions. One conclusion was I'm in love with the church. I'm in love with the local church, the local tacit assembly of believers who come together and, and, and worship and evoke the presence of the Lord in lives that are committed to Jesus first and then one another. And I believe that's normative across the world, and I believe it's the hope of the world. I believe when Jesus in Matthew 16 and 18 instituted church, that was what he was saying. Because in Matthew 18, he's telling the church if there's there any kind of discipline to be brought, he says, bring them before elders. You know, the, inter, the international uh, universal church doesn't have elders you bring them before. This is a local congregation that Jesus is referencing. And these are the first two times in all the gospel that Jesus even mentions the word church, ecclesia, called out ones. This is at that point. But I fell in love with the church again. And not only NC4, but all the kinds of expressions of Christianity that go in local assemblies. I just fell in love with it. The second conclusion that I came from it is this is the kind, NC4 is the kind of church I want to belong to. I felt like, okay, I've seen, I've seen the waterfront and it's great and I'm in love with it, but this is where I'm called to. This is where my life needs to be committed. So this morning, what we want to do is revisit what God was speaking to NC4 when he spoke NC4 into its very existence all those years ago. That really needs to be looked at in order to understand what kind of DNA we have moving forward. In the scriptures, there's all kinds of metaphors to describe the church. 
You know, they're all valuable. They're all crucial. They're all important. We want to do all the stuff that's involved in all those little descriptors of church. So the church is the bride of Christ, which describes our passion for intimacy with Jesus together, the, the way we worship together, the way we invoke his manifest presence together, the way we fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. And that's the bride of Christ. There's this idea of the church as the army of God, which describes our passion for authority and intercession, deliverance, prayer, all those things, how we conduct ourselves in this cosmic battle with the devil, putting every enemy under the feet of Jesus, how we rule and reign with Jesus. That's another paradigm. Then we're the sons of God, the, the corporate new creation men, uh, new creations who are able to walk in morality and integrity under the influence of the Holy Spirit, capable of walking like the rest of humanity can't walk because they're not cre new creation beings, the sons of God. The epistles say, you know, it's not yet revealed what we should be, but, but, but when the sons of God are revealed across the earth, we'll understand. And, and I believe we're in the process of the sons of God being revealed, revealed across the earth. Uh, uh, more than that, we don't have to be circumcised because we, we are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. The church is the circumcision. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're a people in key relationship in, in whom dwells the presence of God twice, Paul said. First of all, Paul says to an individual, you know, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's a, an individual person. But then he says to the Corinthian church who were batting each other around because they were, they were angry with each other and they were all kinds of discombobulated with each other as the churches want to do. And he says, stop it. Don't you know? Plural. You local assembly, you are the temple of the living God. And whoever destroys the temple of God, God will destroy. That's pretty heavy duty stuff. Okay, but then, you know, we're the body of Christ. Uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he accomplished what I call the great exchange. Uh, his physical body went up to be with the, the Father at the right hand of the Father, to rule and reign. And it's there today, right now. Jesus' physical body is with the Father at, with the Father at his right hand. And in that exchange, we become the body of Christ on earth. It's a fixed local, tacit, worshiping assembly. It's all playing a part, moving in our giftedness together. Uh, we display him. It's our job to display him the way he displayed himself when he walked among us. And then we are the wild olive branch. Uh, and we are the people of the new covenant who have a share in the old covenant, the Israel of God grafted in. We don't replace Israel, but we have a part to play in the Israel of God. And I could go on and on and on and on, because all of these paradigms, all of these analogies, all these metaphors are important to who we are as a church. But way back when at the institution of NC4, we were praying and like asking God with all these pictures and paradigms and truths that, that we harbor here, how do we seek to structure this thing called church? What is the structure? What is the architecture? 
What is the nature of how church is built according to the foundations of the apostles and the prophets? Uh, so let me tell you a story. In like roughly 1986, somewhere around there, we had moved into our, our Linden Street location, and one of our apostolic leaders in the network we belonged to, that were submitted to, Dick Blackwell, he said, you guys now got a fixed location. You need to really seek God as to how you're going to structure from this time forward. And I was doing a lot of praying and fasting in those days, more so than I'm doing today, uh, but I still pray and fast. But like it was, I was really going full bore in this particular time in our history. And I was asking God the question, okay, God, the church is all these things, but in terms of a primary paradigm, what's the biblical model, Lord? What, what is it? And, and I heard the Lord say to me, you're already doing it. And I said, how can we already be doing it if we don't see it, you know? If you're going to do that, you need to see it. And why is church so messy? And God said something, and it's remained with me all these years. And it's the title of this message. Here's what the Lord said to me. Grubby, there are angels in the architecture. There are angels in the architecture. And that phrase stayed with me. Angels in the architecture. What does that mean? So the title of this message, as I said is angels in the architecture. And I'm going to tell you what it means spiritually. I'm going to tell you what it means biblically. But I'm also going to tell you what it means architecturally because it was years before I discovered it has an architectural meaning, that phrase. Now, look, I knew that Paul, in calling himself, St. Paul, in calling himself a wise master builder when he was describing his apostolic ministry. I knew that Paul, in calling himself a wise master builder, that word master builder in Greek is the word architect, architecton. And he says to the Corinthians, who again are eating each other alive, okay, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled, a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And he's talking about the foundation he laid in the city of Corinth. Now, the words in Greek are sophos, from which we get the word uh, sophisticated. And then architecton, from, of course, obviously, we get the word architect. Paul, without any arrogance, saying, by grace, I'm a sophisticated architect of the church. I'm a sophisticated architect of people by the grace of God. And so it was these words of Paul that I now turn to and how he, Paul, understood the New Testament structure of church, what it was to be. And I turned there, and I want you to turn to the words that I looked at way back then, and I've quoted them lots of times here. Um, and, and we're going to read from Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the, the con now, the context here is really, really, really important. Sometimes we don't pay too much attention to context. But this is a big, big one, okay? Because Paul's writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and he can't get to him. He wants to get to him. And he, he calls Timothy my true son of the faith. And he left Timothy in Ephesus to be structuring the church there, to be structuring the churches in the eastern Mediterranean along with Titus. And he just got out of jail. Paul just got out of jail in Rome. We don't know if he made it to Spain. I, I believe he did, but that's another morning. And, and no, watch this. 
that Ephesus is the center of Paul's church planting strategy for the whole Eastern Mediterranean. And he calls Timothy, my true son. And he says in, in his apostolic epistle to Timothy and Titus, here's the biblical paradigm. I'm a, I'm a sophosarchitecton, I'm a sophisticated architect. And here's what I want you to do when you're looking at the churches. And he wrote, he wrote to him in Timothy, he wrote to him in Titus. And, and in his apostolic epistles, Paul instructs Timothy and Titus as to the biblical paradigm, which is to be the primary one in structuring the churches that Paul wants to build. And Paul talks about men and women and, and deacons and elders and husbands and wives and children and all these facets, all these nooks and crannies of humanity that have to come together and be the church committed to one another in a local assembly. Because you see, Paul is architecting people. That's what apostles do. And when he does this, he sums it up this way. And I'm reading from 1 Timothy 3, 14 and following. And I'd like you to follow me in this if you can and pay attention. Verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon. He's aching to get there to make sure that this thing is done right. He says, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, and he did, you may know how one or how each one ought to behave or other translations say, how everybody's supposed to conduct themselves in the household. Household, household. Some translations say family, family, family. In the family of God, the household, which is the church, all right? The church of the living God. And then he says something that's crazy, nutsy, cuckoo, outlandish. He says this, he says, the household of God, uh, the church of God, the family of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Wow. Now, Paul, you know, is conversant with uh, all the philosophies that were tiddling about the Middle East at the time, Platonic, Aristotelian, all that stuff, all that highfalutin stuff. And all that stuff talks about how do you know it's true? Paul says the church is the family of God, is the pillar and the ground of truth. Well, what about the Logos? I thought the Bible was the truth. It is. And what about, you know, what about the speaking of the Holy Spirit is truth? What about all, 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 all the kinds of truth? And it, it's all there, but Paul says... There's some kind of structure, there's some kind of building that you can run those truths through that will vet the truth for what it is. It will make it big. It will make it displayable. It will make it matter. It will do that kind of stuff. So in the God's words translation of the Bible, it's, as I said, it translates as family because the word household isn't a mere house. The word is oikos. It, it, it's the word from which we get the word economy in English. And it's the house of an extended family. When you think about the house that, that Peter went to in Book of Acts uh, when he was uh, 
miraculously set free from prison. It was a, a big house that could contain the church at Jerusalem. It had servants. It, had, it was that kind of thing. To understand this word now, you have to think of Hacienda, uh, or you have to think of Downton Abbey as, as an extended family. See, it, and he says, and, and by the way, pillar and buttress are architectural words. Paul wrote this to Timothy down the street for where, from where Timothy read this letter was the temple of Artemis or Diana. And there were, there were hundreds of pillars there, you know, and, and that held up the architecture. So Paul's careful in the kind of things that he's saying. And then Paul turns to an early church hymn. Watch this. This is an actual hymn of the early church, which describes how the church, who is the household of God, the family of God, like Jesus, because Jesus is now with the Father, should display the characteristics of godliness, right? He says, great indeed, verse 16, we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. People have to see something, all right? He, he, was, he was vindicated by the Spirit. There needs to be a sense of the justice of God at work. But watch this, seen by angels. The angels have to see. It's important for the angels, for the principalities and powers to see. And I'll hold that thought because we're going to go somewhere with it. Proclaimed among the nations, there's the whole mission. Believed on in the world, there's the success of the gospel. Taken up in glory, that was the destiny of Jesus. And it's our destiny as well to be taken up in glory. All right. So I want to give you a de definition of this paradigm household, which Paul feels is so important, apostolically important. It's a point in my message. Household is a functioning, multi-generational, diverse family, including people and servants and structures and resources and production and estate. And, and, I, and I began to understand when I saw this truth and I was helped by some great Bible teachers, some, some great uh, prophetic people, and, and, and some great uh, apostolic people. I began to understand that the idea of extended family was crit a critical primary architectural component in the structuring of local church. In, in, in no way limiting the other paradigms. I'm, I want to be the bride of Christ. I want to be the romancer of Jesus. I want to be in a romance with him. But in structuring the local church, I saw that without limiting the paradigms of church, but rather offering other paradigms, this funnel of truth. So then Paul talks about vetting leaders. Paul says, look, I'm going to, if you want to lead, vet leaders in the churches that you're planning, here's how you do it. The leaders have to manage their own households well, with all dignity, keeping their children submission, submissive. Uh, but if someone does not manage his own household, how will he manage the household of God? Huh? You know, this is the thing. So well-managed household make well-led churches and Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 19, different place. It's to the church at Ephesus. He says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens together with the saints and are the household of God. These are the same words coming up, up, up again, oikos. All right. And beyond that, even Peter makes note to the church. He says in his epistle, you yourselves like living stones are being built up 
into a spiritual household. And some translations say family. So the burden of apostolic ministry is the architecture of this organism. Now, you know, I know it's an organization, but it has to be an organism first. The household or family of God, where we know one another, we love one another, we hurt each other, we make up together, we do all these kinds of things. See, because the burden of apostolic ministry is that kind of architecture. That's what Paul says. Okay, to get the full impact of, of what Paul is apostolically saying to his young disciples, Timothy and Titus, you have to stop and, for a second and just take have a think on this. Paul is saying, if you want to vet truth functionally, if you want to see how well what you believe to be true functions, then, then you know what? Then run it through the grittiness of local church. Run it through the grittiness of extended family. I'm sorry, I'm banging the pulpit, Bob, and I'm probably sending all your things crazy. <laughs> all right, so people committed to one another, people in relationship with one another, physical people up close and touchy. That's why the devil's after us in this thing. He wants us to isolate. He wants us to be apart from one another. The grittiness of local church, sharing the body and blood of Messiah together, uh, people angry with one another, people forgiving one another, people bearing one another's burdens, as Paul says to the epistle at Galatians, people falling in love with one another and out of love with one another, processing life together, intergenerational parents, children, grandparents, diverse, different languages, colors, different cultures, all that architecturally being woven in. Corinthian was an incredibly diverse cultural church. And, and, and the church, when it was birthed in Jerusalem, was this incredibly diverse cultural thing. It wasn't a bunch of the, all the kind of same people talking in an echo chamber together in, in one kind of, kind of uh, uh, just uh, internal kind of mechanism where everybody looks alike and thinks the same. Um, see, diverse. The descriptions of the church in the book of Revelation, ethnos, different ethnic groups, uh, 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 glossa, different languages, uh, races, class, different class systems, all together getting kicked together into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of, of the fruit of the Spirit and finding truth together. So regarding the craziness of this, this apostolic claim by the Apostle Paul uh, that, that the household of God is a pillar and the foundation of truth, really, the Cambridge New Testament scholar James Dunn, and I like this quote, I want to read it to you. He says, it was a high claim these churches had for themselves. These little churches around the edge of the Mediterranean in the first century, he said, they were God's family. They were God's family. And in, in direct continuity with Israel, with the Israel of God, one Lord God, and it was this conviction that bolstered their claim to actually be able to have the truth. I thought, whoa, that's something else. Now, you know, when we were talking about putting together this message, we wanted to have some people from the congregation or some other leaders come and give some testimonies. And the one that I wanted to have was uh, Pastor Tony, 
who's our administrative pastor, because he talks about way back in the 80s when he first came to, a, to, to NC4, and he was, we were meeting over at what was now a Moravian Academy. It was the YWCA at the time. And he walked in, and he said, I, can't, I was new to the area. I didn't know anybody. And he said, I, suddenly I had friends and uncles and aunts, and, and I, you know, it's like I, I had a family, whereas I had no family in the area. I had a family. But he, he, he also found his wife there as well. He really had a family. And so, now, I look. I understand there are people at NC4 who struggle for relationship and continuity that way. But that was his experience. And I think that's important. All right? I get that. But I, and I appreciate sentiments like that so much. But Paul attaches, Paul attaches an even greater apostolic gravitas to the idea of the household of God. See if you can catch, like, you know, you know, if you're slurping coffee, listen up and you see if you can catch this as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesus chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, here is what Paul has to say about the family of God and angels. Remember the angels? Seen by angels. Angels, for some reason, have to see, have to observe the church as the household of God. Paul says... Uh, Paul says, actually, he says in Ephesians 3, 9, this is my apostolic calling. Okay, I'm going to pick up where he says, to bring, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. See, mystery, mystery is, a mystery in the, in the Bible is something that you don't understand even when you understand it. <laughs> You know, you, you can observe it and you get it, but all the pieces don't come together. You're just wowed by the wonder of it, okay? And so Paul says, this mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, verse 10, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom or the multifaceted wisdom, all the ways that God is wise, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? To rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That is the angelic host, both good and evil. That is the, the whole umbrella, the panoply of the supernatural. Paul says, I'm going to make it known to them through the church. And this is, this is the church this is the church that, that angels need to see, Paul says to Timothy. And this was according, Paul says, to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart for what I'm suffering. And I would say this year for us, don't lose heart for what we're suffering. It's going somewhere, church. It's going somewhere in 2021. I, so don't lose heart for what you are suffering, which is your glory. And then he says this. He says, look, in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and in earth is named. In other words, every family in heaven and in earth is given identity. See, it's... Paul's not talking about nuclear families in Indonesia and Africa. He's talking about church families because there's a, an extension into the supernatural in heaven and in this thing. 
And so Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father, for whom every family in heaven and earth is named. The wisdom of God, people, my point, the wisdom of God to people is mediated by the Holy Spirit. You know, when God wants to show us something, he gives us revelation. You know, whether we're walking a trail or cooking a ham, you know, the Holy Spirit falls and he speaks to us. But the wisdom of God to angels and devils is mediated by the conduct of the household of God here in his church. That's pretty big stuff. That's why, you know, so many, so many apostolic people f- say that the, the local church is the hope of the world. Paul, seen by angels, Paul says. It's got to be seen by angels. Angels observe the wisdom of God and the way we love one another and we don't love one another. What God is doing on the earth. This is one freaky, immense thought, okay? A church that is biblically well-structured possesses immense power to earth heaven. Earth heaven. So, 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 so. This, na- this whole notion of angels in the architecture, way back when, captivated me. And I don't know if I had heard it before, I don't remember, but the first time I ever heard, and it was some time later, after God had spoken this to me, Paul Simon, you remember Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon produced this album in South Africa. And it's oh, such a great album. If you don't have it, you should get it. It's called uh, Graceland. Uh, it's just a super, super album. It was produced in South Africa, I think even before apartheid crashed, but I'm not quite sure on that. And I was kind of dumbfounded when I listened to it because he wrote this song called Call Me Out. I don't know if you remember the song. It was a hilarious video with Chevy Chase and Chevy Chase and Paul Simon. They're the only two people on the album. And they have this incredible fretless bass line by Bagiti uh, Kumalo, who's, if you, you guys who are bass players and listen, need to listen to Bagiti. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a Zulu, and I think he's a believer. And Ladysmith is the background on the album. They're all believers. I saw them uh, a couple, about a year ago at, at, at Steel Stacks. They're great. So here's the lyrics that I heard after all these years of thinking about angels and the architecture and what Paul says here. Uh, here's Paul Simon's lyrics. A man walks down the street. It's a street in a strange world, right? He looks around and around. He sees angels in the architecture. I thought, whoa, angels in the architecture, spinning in infinity, spinning in infinity, angels in the architecture, and he says, amen and hallelujah. And so I'm thinking, wow, that's like, what does that mean? You know, what is Simon after here? So a bit later, I'm preaching a variation of the message uh, uh, something like what, what I'm talking about this morning at a big leaders conference in Pretoria, South Africa. And it's interesting because I titled the message the same as this morning, Angels in the Architecture. And so they played the Paul Simon song as my bumper music. <laughs> you got to listen to it. Anyway, so and, I, and so I use... Uh, Call me Al as my bumper music, and I'm talking about angels in the architecture. And after the message, watch this. After the message, a brother comes up to me who happens to be an architect and a structural engineer. And he gives me this amazing insight. He says to me, angels in the architecture, 
you know, I, I wonder, do you know where this phrase actually comes from? And, and I said, no, no, I don't know anything about it. He says, it's a phrase uh, design engineers and architects use all the time. It goes all the way back to the medieval period. It's, it's like actually a phrase. Simon didn't make that up. He was using it in his song. Angels in the architecture, watch this, are the fudge factors. Or I, I like to say the grace factors, the calculated wiggle room that wise master builders build into their projects to make sure of the sturdiness when, when, when what they're building might encounter something unforeseen, right? When, when, the, this component, when this component doesn't quite fit or this material isn't as adequate as you thought it would be in the way that you thought it would be uh, or that design doesn't look as good as you thought it would be, there's angels in the architecture, right? It doesn't fit the personality. If, if there's something going on that doesn't fit, fit the personality of the church for the moment, there's angels in the architecture. And so I thought, oh my gosh, no wonder the Lord spoke that to me, you know? So like I was thinking about the history of NC4 because you can only do this with family. You can't do this or with organizations. You can't, you just fire people and hire people and do all kinds of stuff and get super spiritual, hyper spiritual and all that. Anyway, so family's not like that. And so I remember when I was back in 1982, when Dick Kovacs, Don Kemmerer and Conrad Martin, who were the, two of the, whom were elders and a deacon at the time, said, let's, let's bring Grubby on full time and let's, that's me if you, you don't know who I am. Anyway, God calls me Grubby, so it's okay. So uh, when, 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 when they said, let's bring on Grubby full time, I was thinking, you know, they were saying, but he needs to be an elder and make him an elder and bring him on full time. A lot of people, and it was only a little church, 50 people, maybe 30, I don't know. But people from inside and outside the church objected because I was 32 years old. You know, and elder means older person and all this other kind of stuff. I was kind of willing not to come aboard, you know. I was willing not to be the first full-time guy in the church, you know, because I had a job I loved. Trisha and I were trying, it took us six months to make the decision because we were trying to ferret out the call of God in our lives. Do we do this? People kind of surrounded us, older people and other people, and said, you need to do this. We have confidence in you. And I'm thinking, how can you have confidence in me? And they're, they're saying, look, we know that you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> All right. We understand that. But we see the way you handle your family. We see the quality of your life, your spirituality. We know there's a call in your life and you're going to screw up. But there are angels in the architecture. And, and, and like... I suddenly, you know, this is way back when I, I, I didn't suddenly see the truth of that, but I noticed the grace that God put on NC4 to take the church where it needed to go because it was the grace of family. It was the grace of family. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't organizational. It wasn't structural. It wasn't hyper blah, 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 prophetic. It was the grace of of family, and there were angels watching, and there were angels in the architecture, and today there's still angels watching, there's still angels in the architecture, and Jesus today is jealous for the family of God which inhabits this nomenclature 
called NC4 in Mukunji and here in Bethlehem. And all these years later, 40, 39 years later, I'm thankful that God has angels watching and that Jesus is jealous for us and that whatever happens as we come back together, we're going forward. Every time I do that, Bob goes like this, you know. <laughs> we're going forward. Brothers and sisters, we're going forward in the faith. Be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and be faithful to one another because we got some, we got some hacking DNA to live out in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're, <laughs> you're a God who is the Father, that you're not some, oh, Lord, living God, that you're not some distant, non-relational deity. You're, you're Abba, you're a daddy. We thank you for your fatherhood. We thank you for the sonship of Jesus. We thank you for the passion of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, even though it's been an unbelievably tough year, we thank you for one another. We thank you for our dedicatedness to one another. Even when we're angry with one another, even when we're sad with one another, we thank you for grace and grace and fudge factor grace because there's angels in the architecture of your church. We thank you for your apostles. We thank you for your prophets. And we thank you already for where we're going when we come out, when we break out of this thing this year in Jesus' name. And if there's anybody here who's never really understood what it is to be part of the family of God. The way through, the portal through, is to make a commitment of faith to your Lord, my Lord Jesus. And you can do that this morning, and we're going to pray together. We're just going to pray, uh, for most of us, it's a prayer of remembrance or a, a prayer hoping for someone that we're praying for. But you can do it right now and make Jesus your God, your Lord, and come to the understanding of his Father and our Father. So pray with me a few words that can even change your lives. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for dying for us. We thank you for resurrecting. We thank you for ascending. We thank you for creating this thing called church. Forgive us, Lord, from anything that we've done wrong. We are so sorry. Oh, God, we're sorry. We repent. And... We thank you you died on the cross so that we could be set free and set in to this wondrous thing called church. And we thank you that you offer forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. You even, you know, pray that. Just pray that at home. I receive the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. More of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. More of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Please come into my life. Be with me forever. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.